Hey, Scott here with Grace Bible Church. Before we get into this message, I just wanted to thank you for streaming this sermon. We pray that each week you are challenged by who God is and what he has done for you. Now, this is never meant to be a substitute for you to be an active member of a community of faith. If you live in the Hollidaysburg area, or if you're in town for any reason, we encourage you to gather with us on Sunday mornings for our word and worship. You can learn more about what God is doing through our church body on our website, gbclive.org. If you haven't already, please turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. I want to pick it up in verse uh, 16 where Todd uh, finished reading. And again, I want to welcome all the dads who are uh, watching online. We're glad to have you as well. And before I do this, I forgot. I want all the dads to stand up. Would you do that, please? All the dads, just stand up so we can give you a a hand of appreciation. Thank you very much. What a good-looking, intelligent group, I'll tell you what. That's a little self-serving, but that's okay. Okay, we're picking this up in John chapter 5 and verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. And whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, The hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has granted life in himself, has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice, and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. One of the best definitions that I have ever heard, and I've used many times, is that a father is a man who carries pictures in his wallet where his money used to be. And I've always appreciated that particular definition of fatherhood. Some of you kids here today are saying, Mother's Day, Father's Day, why don't we have a kid's day? Well, you do have a kid's day. It's called every day because these parents of yours spend their life, spend every day providing for you and caring for you and uh, making sure that you are fed and and housed and uh, all the things and the blessings that they do for you. So not just today, but every day. In particular today, let your dad know you love him. And let your dad know that you appreciate all that he does for you. A young pastoral student graduated from college and wrote a paper called The Ten Absolutes of Parenting. 
During his seminary training, he was married and they had their first child. So he changed the title to 10 Principles of Parenting. After the birth of their fourth child, he changed the title to Help Me, I'm Drowning. And so I'm sure some of us can relate to that. You know, um, I've had a, a wonderful dad. Uh, Dad's in heaven. My brother Steve is here. We have another brother, Randy. And, um, you know, you, you become a parent and you sort of feel like you're not qualified until your kids have grown. You know, parenting is definitely on-the-job training. And so my parents had Steve first, and so they experimented on him. And then three years later, I was born. And so I turned out perfect, and that's why Steve's so messed up. But um, <laughs> anyways, yeah, our dad taught us a lot of great things. My dad taught me about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. My dad taught me logic because I said so. That's why. My dad taught me about anticipation. Just wait till I get you home. And my dad taught me the circle of life. I brought you into this world, and dad, I can take you out. Very good. Well, you did a lot better than the early service. Some dads have wondered why kids don't come with an instruction manual. Well, they do. It's called the Word of God, it's called the Bible. And the Bible contains truths to parenting in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Deuteronomy 6, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And then the New Testament, Ephesians 6, 4, you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. I don't know how many Father's Day messages I preach, but there have been quite a few. But this Father's Day, I was reminded of that the Bible teaches the great truth of the fatherhood of God. And certainly, if you're going to look for a model father, the most perfect example of fatherhood, the most perfect father there ever could be, is God our Father. But I thought this might be a good time for us to think about what the Bible has to say about God the Father. In Matthew 6, 9, Jesus said, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Well, first of all, God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some liberals or others attack that and try to make it sound like that Jesus Christ is not the preexistent, eternal, second person of the Trinity. And that's not at all what the Bible teaches uh, the Bible teaches clearly that there is a trinity and that each member of the trinity has certain particular functions or actions. God is also seen as the father of creation. But the father of creation does not mean, and the idea that some teach the universal fatherhood of God over all people, that is not taught in scripture. God is not, you cannot honestly say God is your heavenly father just because you are alive and on planet Earth. Now, in the Gospel of John, this chapter marks a transition. If you were reading through the Gospel of John and you were following the ministry of Jesus in his earthly ministry, you would see that this chapter does form a definite transition in his ministry. Todd read how Jesus healed a lame man, and he healed him on the Sabbath day. He did that purposefully because he's moving towards the cross. 
And he did this so that he would come in conflict with the religious leaders, so that he would be able to uh, confront their religious uh, actions and the fact that this was a legalistic, hypocritical uh, religion. You know, religion is man's attempt to uh, gain God by good works, and yet the Bible teaches that is not possible at all. And so he makes this confrontation, and he knows they're going to confront him because he did this on the Sabbath, And he particularly uh, told the man, commanded the man to take up his bed and walk, knowing it was the Sabbath, knowing it would create this confrontation. And so the Jewish leaders sought Jesus out, and they began to question him about this in verse 16. Now, what follows is Jesus' own declaration of deity. And this is the most profound, most systematic declaration that Jesus makes in all the Gospels of his own deity, the fact that he is indeed the Son of God, the fact that he is God. MacArthur says, as such, it becomes one of the greatest Christological discourses in the Scripture. Now, notice how Jesus begins in verse 17. My Father, my Father. Nowhere else in Scripture are we going to find this systematic presentation by Jesus of the fact that he is indeed the Son of God, of the fact that he and God the Father are indeed one. In fact, the theme of this section is the unity of the Father and of the Son. Jesus clearly claimed equality with God. Now, there are some liberals who say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, they just have not read the Gospels. Jesus clearly claimed to be God, to be equal with God the Father. God the Son, God the, Fa- God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This section is particularly focused on God the Father and God the Son. Jesus the Son is equal with God the Father. Now, you're reading through the Gospel of John. This is the first time Jesus says, my Father, referring to God the Father. It's significant that he never said, your Father. As he's talking with them, and we're going to see in a moment, if you know Christ, God, you can, you can truly say, God is your father. But he never said, your father. He said, my father. Is God the father of all believers, true believers? Yes. But we have to recognize that the fatherhood of God in relation to Jesus is on a completely different level. It's interesting if you look at the life of the Lord Jesus and you look at the first recorded words of Jesus in the incarnation. It's in Luke chapter 2. If you recall the story that uh, Jesus is 12 years of age, Uh, his parents take Jesus and they go up to the temple for Passover. Now back then, it wasn't just their nuclear family, they wouldn't likely have gone with the whole extended family, likely in a caravan, which explains why Jesus, uh, when the family went back home, Jesus stayed behind and they didn't find him or didn't miss him for three days. And in Luke 2, it says, now so it was after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? 
first recorded words, not the first words that he spoke, I'm sure, but the first words recorded in the Gospels of the Lord Jesus in his incarnation. And as an aside, young people, that text goes on to say that Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. Jesus was an obedient son to his earthly father. Jesus, who who spoke the universe into existence, was obedient. He's He's a model for us. He's a model of the perfect, obedient son. So the Bible clearly teaches what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. There is one God, yet three persons. In fact, John began his gospel declaring that fact in relation to Jesus. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we find out that the Word is a title for the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Greek, it says the Father and Son are prostantheon, meaning face to face. What a vivid description. Jesus and the Father are face to face. They are one. Now, I don't claim to understand the Trinity. I don't think any human mind can understand the Trinity. God's thoughts, God's ways are far above ours. But the Bible clearly expresses the doctrine of the Trinity. Father is one of the titles for God that is repeated in the Gospels more than any other. 189 times in the Gospels. 124 of those in the Gospel of John alone. Jesus and the Father are one. Verses 19 to 20 reveal they are one in works. Notice that verse 23, all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. All worship and honor are equally due to both the Father and the Son. The word honor means value, to ascribe reverence, value, honor, praise to God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son. We were on vacation a couple weeks ago, and we went to the beach. And one of the things I like to do when I go to the beach is stand on the very edge of of the ocean and just stand there and comprehend or try to comprehend the beauty of God's creation and and to look out. And the ocean always fascinates me. It just speaks to me of the awesome power and and creative power of God. And I stood there a couple weeks ago, and I thought, My father made this. (laughs) My father made this. He made all of this. You know, God could have created the the world, uh, the universe, in just, you know, gray and shades of gray or dark brown. Or He didn't do that. He infused it with this incredible kaleidoscope of color. This is our heavenly father. This is our creator, God. There's more we could say about... God the Father from this passage. When the Son is exalted, the Father is glorified. But I want to relate particularly these truths to believers. In fact, that's the purpose for John writing this gospel that people would come to believe, John 20, verse 31. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So certainly what we've done here today in praising the name of Jesus is what we are supposed to do. As we magnify Jesus, the Father is glorified. As we make much of Jesus, the Father is magnified. But yet at the same time, there is a definite focus 
in praise to Jesus, yet realizing that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one God. And yet, there is a focus on the Son. So, let's continue to talk about God the Father in relationship to those of us who know Christ is our Savior. God is the Father of all who have trusted in Jesus for salvation. The only people who can legitimately call God their Father are born-again believers, are people who have understood the gospel. They've recognized they're a sinner. They've realized that God the Father provided a way of salvation through his Son. They've recognized that Jesus Christ is the one only true way. Religion is man trying to gain heaven through his own works. And yet the Bible clearly teaches that that is not a possibility. Jesus declared this reality from the beginning. I'm sorry, John declared this reality from the beginning of his gospel. John 1:12. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We are not God's children by nature. Though many people will say, God is my father, simply because you are born into this world, the Bible teaches no such thing. God is not your father by nature. Some think God's their father by religion or by baptism. Just because you are baptized, that does not mean you are into God's family. God is only your father through spiritual birth. Uh, my dad is my dad because I was born physically into his family. I am born again, therefore I've been born into the family of God, and so I can legitimately call God my heavenly Father. Jesus said, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And so only a born-again Christian can truly call God their Father. doesn't matter. People are sitting in churches this morning, they're, they're reciting the Lord's Prayer, and they're thinking that God is their Father but they've never truly believed the gospel. They believe that some kind of religious duty is going to make them right with God. And the Bible clearly teaches you come through Jesus or you don't come at all to the Father. In 1 John 3, 2, John says in his epistle, Beloved, now we are the children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now... We are the children of God. You don't become God's child when you die. You become a child of God when you trust Christ as your Savior, when you become a follower of Jesus, when you are born again, and you are born into God's family. Spiritual birth gives us our new nature and our new relationship with the Father. Look at verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Jesus speaks of this as an accomplished fact. You don't wait till you get to heaven to find out that you've got eternal life. Eternal life is a present possession. The moment you trust Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells you. You have, a na you have the nature of God. You are partakers of the divine nature, Peter says. And you can truly, legitimately say... God is my Father. Now, this is kind of an unusual connection that Jesus makes here. He says, whoever believes in him who sent me, 
meaning the Father. Usually, we see, or we see it in John, whoever believes in Jesus or whoever believes in the word of Jesus. But again, John's pointing out that Jesus and the Father are one. And so he says here, whoever believes in him who sent me, meaning the Father. To believe in the Father is to believe in the one that he sent. Let me ask you a very personal question. Is God your Father? Is God your Father? Truly. Has there been a time in your life where you have consciously called upon God to save you through the work of Jesus on the cross, his death, burial, resurrection. Are you understanding that when you pray our Father who art in heaven, is there a connection there? I mean a spiritual connection. Does your life have a B.C. before Christ and an A.D. after Christ? I mean, can you look at your life and say there was a time before Christ And then there was a time after I came to know the Lord. Now, I've told you many times I grew up here. I've asked Jesus into my heart when I was very young. I can't tell you the day because as a young boy, um, I I remember Pastor Jones would preach a strong message on judgment or he would preach on hell or damnation. And and I would go home and pray again. I want to make sure I'm saved, you know. And so I can't tell you a specific day. But what I tell people is, what about today? What about today? Are you trusting in Christ today? Do you know that if you die today, you'd go to heaven today? See, that's the key point. And some of you know a very definite day. You might have been in a service. Maybe one of your parents led you to the Lord or in Moana or in Sunday school. Or, but others of us don't know the exact day. But what's important is, what is my life like today? You know, when I hear one of my children say, Dad, there's an immediate recognition. I can hear other people say to their, you know, dad or whatever or father, but when one of my kids says it, I mean, I I connect that right away. And so it's like when your wife says your name, you know, well, you better answer if she does that. But anyways, I, I immediately connect with my children. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I'm not talking about the audible voice of God. God can do whatever he wants to. But I'm talking about in your spirit, when you read the word, when you pray, is there a spiritual connection with your heavenly father? If we expect our children to follow us, we need to be following Jesus, who is the perfect son. So dads, we need to be following Jesus. If we want our kids to follow Jesus, then we don't send them to church. We bring them to church. We live an example of being a Christ follower before them. In John 8, 29, the Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Jesus is the pattern of obedience. He said, I always do the things that please my Father. Now, unfortunately, I can't say that. I couldn't say that with my earthly Father, and I can't say it with my heavenly Father. I desire to do those things for, that please my heavenly Father. But Jesus, the perfect Son, could actually say that. So spiritual birth gives us our nature and a new relationship with God the Father. Spiritual adoption gives us our position in Christ and guarantees our inheritance. We saw this morning that many here are fathers of of their children, um, of their own children that, that their wife bore them. 
And then others of you are fathers of children that have been adopted. They are no less your children. And when they, they call you dad, there's that same recognition. Now, the great thing about our Heavenly Father is we are born into his family. We get our nature, and then he adopts us into his family and gives us our position and gives us this incredible inheritance. Faith in Jesus makes possible this intimate relationship with God. In Galatians 4, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has set forth a spirit on his hearts, into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Now, what does Abba, Father mean? Abba is an informal Aramaic term for father. It carries the idea of intimacy, coming before the Father without fear, tenderness, it's almost as if when our kids would call us daddy or papa. Um, it's that informal kind of intimate, beautiful language. And if you remember, it's Jesus in the garden when he is struggling with taking on the sins of the world that he cries out to his Abba Father. And you and I have the privilege to come before God in this intimate, tender Lack of fear relationship. Now, this is really amazing because the Bible presents Jesus, uh, presents the Father in Hebrews 12, 9 as a consuming fire. A consuming fire. That's the picture of God the Father. Consumed with his own holiness. And now because of Jesus, we have this privilege of approach. We, have, we are born into his family. We can, we can call God Daddy. Now, that's not to use that in any disrespectful way. But it shows us the intimacy that God wants to have with us. Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If we indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We're joint heirs with Jesus. Guess what, guess what Jesus inherits? Everything. And we are joint heirs with Christ. And we can say that God is our Abba, Father. This is amazing because God the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. God the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. Verse 22, the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. That's a difficult passage to interpret. Some think that they're reading into this that the, those that are dead are people who are actually living, but they're dead in their sin, and then they come to know Christ. Personally, I don't see it that way. I think Jesus is looking ahead to the time of future judgment when he is the one who will be on the throne of judgment. He is the one who will be judging all mankind. Look at verse 25. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. What an amazing statement. Well, we already have evidence of this because Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and he who was dead came forth out of the tomb. Had Jesus said, come forth, it's likely that all the dead would have come forth. I don't know that for sure, but he was very specific when he said, Lazarus, come forth. And you'll notice in this verse that, that double affirmation. Now, my, king, my new King James has most assuredly, the King James has verily, verily. 
Some of your newer translations have other words for that. But the idea here is expressing certainty. It's, it's emphasizing certainty. This is only one of three places in the Gospel of John where Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God. Now, he definitely is the Son of God. Usually, he refers to himself as the Son of Man, as we see in the next couple of verses. But here, he specifically is using the term the Son of God. I don't know specifically why, but maybe he's doing it to emphasize his deity in calling the dead forth, some to judgment. Verse 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. God the Father is the self-existent one. No beginning, no ending. Nobody created God. He has always been and will ever be. And the same here is true of the Son of God. The same is true of Jesus because he has the same nature. He has the same kind of life because Jesus and the Father are one. Son of man is Jesus' favorite term for himself. It comes from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. And Jesus identified himself with the passage in Daniel 7 when he was at his trial in Mark chapter 14. And why is Jesus the one to judge? Well, God the Father determined that the Son would be the judge. But think about it. He's uniquely qualified. He's uniquely qualified because he is the God-man. He's the only person in all the universe who is both deity but also has a true humanity. And he even carries that humanity on into eternity in his perpetual incarnation. Hebrews 4, 4 verse 15 says, He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So who better to understand and who better to be the judge of all mankind than the God-man? And so the Father has determined to give all judgment to the Son. So you better have and you better be in right relationship with the Son because we will all stand before him one day. If you have trusted him as your Savior, you don't have to fear. There will be an examination of our Christian life. If you have not trusted him as your Savior, there will be a condemnation to eternal damnation because you rejected the offer of salvation. Notice this. Jesus has the power to call the dead from the grave. Verse 28. Do not marvel at this. The hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Some people think they, they believe in universalism. Well, you know, in the end, it's all going to be okay. God's just going to bring us all together. But that's not what Jesus taught. That's not what the Bible teaches. And don't get confused here. Jesus is not concerned with the chronology of the different resurrections. He's talking here in general terms. Because when it all boils down, there are some who are going to be resurrected to eternal life and others are going to be resurrected to eternal damnation. And he's not talking about salvation by good works. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. You can't go through the Gospel of John, which constantly is teaching about faith and, and believing in Christ, and that's the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And then pull out these couple of verses and say, well, those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil, the resurrection of condemnation. 
Jesus is saying one's life, one's faith, is tested by their life, by their works. You know, our salvation is by grace received through faith. Judgment is based on one's works. And by the way, nobody gets away with anything. Our sin is either covered by the blood of Christ or we will pay for it eternally. Well, in closing, the Son expresses total dependence upon the Father. Verse 30, I can do of myself, do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own but will, own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. This is why it's very important to read the Bible carefully, because something has changed in this verse. Jesus is now going to the first person in this verse. I can do of myself. As I hear, I judge my judgment because I do not seek my own will of the Father who sent me. And he's making it very clear that he's, he's not talking about somebody else. He's talking about himself in this passage. Everything he does is the Father's will because Jesus and the Father are one. Now, Jesus is the obedient son and God is the perfect father. Many, um, many people get their view of God, at least initially, from their father. If you had a harsh father, you might grow up thinking that, you know, that's the way God is. If you had an absent father, um, if you had a loving father, um, the very dependable father, then you will very likely at least begin to believe that God is that way. So dads, what will our children think of God by watching us? Will they think that God is harsh? Will they think that God is absent? Will they think that God is so busy running the universe he doesn't have time for me? And none of us are perfect fathers, none of us. But we can be faithful, godly fathers. And our children can look back and, and say, you know, my dad was there for me. They can say that, you know, my dad wasn't a perfect dad, but, but he set an example for me. And he even helped me in my view of God in that understanding that, that God is always there for me. What, um, what legacy will you leave your children? Because we often say more is caught than taught. And one last time I want to ask you, is God your father? After hearing this explanation, can you honestly say, my father, my father, who art in heaven? Can you honestly pray to your heavenly father? Because you've trusted in Christ as your savior you know, dads, the greatest gift you can give your children is an understanding of who God the Father is and who God the Son is and what they have done, what they have done for them. And one last word of warning. Beware of accepting the fact of God's existence or of even Jesus' deity without trusting him for salvation. I think there are many people who have believed that God exists they might even believe and, and recite in one of the creeds that Jesus is the Son, but unless you have personally confessed your sin, repented of your sin, 
ask God to save you because of what Christ has done, plus nothing, minus nothing. Not, not God's grace, not Jesus' sacrifice, plus some work of religion or good works. Then you can legitimately call God your heavenly Father. Father, I pray that's true of everyone here. That when they say, God, my Father, they're not just mouthing words. That they know that God is their Father because Jesus is their Savior. And God is not just a religious figure. And, and though they might believe in God, but unless they've trusted in Jesus, that avails nothing for eternity. So thank you, Lord, for being such a perfect, wonderful, gracious God, but we're also reminded that you are a consuming fire, and it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, but you prepared a way through the Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to close the service with a song. out, I call the church office, make an appointment, whatever, whatever you need to do. That's why we're here, to lead people uh, to Jesus. Dads, I hope you have a great day. I mean, just treat yourself like a king. Get a whopper. In fact, get two, you know, but just have a great day. And Michael's going to close in prayer. And uh, thank you for being here this morning. Michael. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being the ultimate model father that we can all look to. Lord, for some of us who don't have great fathers who are in this room, we can look to you as the model father. And, and for those of us who are fathers or hope to be fathers someday, I, I pray that we would look to you for how to lead our lives as the perfect example. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this afternoon. I pray that we would come back ready to worship and to learn more about you next week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.